Listen up, get ready, I'm not gonna take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Buckle up, get ready when gonna... Hello and welcome, all you friends, neighbors, family, comrades, sisters, and brothers, all you citizens of the world. I'm Michael James, I'm here in Chicago, and we're bringing you another edition of the Live from the Heartland Show. This one is being recorded on the 18th of January for the week of January 21st. Throughout the course of the show, I'll tell you all the places you can find it. Uh, this would be actually number 136 Zooms that we've done since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, today, I've got uh, three uh, friends. Well, two of them are friends. One of them is gonna be a new person. I'm gonna, uh, gonna talk with Heather Booth who uh, was the founder of the Janes or uh, organization back in the day when abortion, abortions were illegal. And she's gonna be in town for a showing of the film. Uh, we're gonna have Nick Ward, who was a candidate for the aldermanic position in the 48th Ward. And then Don Rose is gonna update us on where the Chicago mayoral race is at because it's not too far off and there's a lot of activity. When I say not too far off, it's going to be February 28th is the election. And if there's a runoff, it'll be April 4th. Um, I'd like to start off with something good. Uh, I have plenty of not so good news to report. But on the good front, uh, our friend Michael Klonsky, who does a show Hitting Left with the Klonsky brothers. I don't know if both brothers are involved now, but it's on Lumpen Radio. He also puts out Michael Klonsky's Edu Paul newsletter, E-D-U slash P-O-L. And he just reported that President Biden has said enough is enough. Leonard Peltier should be given clemency. And retired FBI agent Colleen Rowley calls for clemency for indigenous activists who has been in prison for nearly 50 years. He's down there uh, in Florida. He's Never, uh, he's always denied involvement in the shooting out at Wounded Knee. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about him on the show, and this is just really uplifting. I mean, he's, he's 78 years old. He's not in the best of shape, and we hope he gets out. We'll keep you posted, and thank you, Michael, for posting that, and actually Katie Hogan for sending it to me. Not so good news, Planned Parenthood of Illinois. Uh, late Sunday evening, an incendiary device was hurled into the Peoria Health Center, caused a substantial fire. No patients or volunteers were hurt, uh, significant damage. Uh, the, uh, the clinic is inoperable right now. They are looking for support and help. Uh, Going to take a number of months. Uh, and what they call our attention to is something that's really ongoing all around us these days senseless acts of vandalism and violence on the rise around the country and certainly in the great blue state of Illinois. Uh, we've become the target of extreme and divisive, uh, you know, incidents um, all around the Midwest. Uh, remember a little ways back, we had Dee Gordon and Jane Adams down in Carbondale, and they talked about being uh, in Illinois where people do have a right to an abortion where they are surrounded by Indiana, Kentucky, and Missouri, uh, three red states. So I want you to be on your toes because here in Rogers Park, a gay-owned restaurant uh, up there in the Our Public House 
was a target of a homophobic attack this past week. A man and a woman were getting out of a car. Someone came up to them and yelled homophobic uh, slurs. They went into the uh, our public house. The man followed them, was ranting, was asked to leave. He smashed the door uh, with a hammer he had. So we're sorry about that. And we wish uh, the owners, Sandra Carter and Renee Lebrana, the best and uh, all the support that you can give them. Uh, so even if we're in a, a, a neighborhood or a community where we feel uh, we're in pretty good shape around some of these issues, be aware that there are people everywhere who are not in such a good place. Uh, so just be aware of what's going on always around you. Um, let me see. Here in Illinois, a little in last week, good news was we announced that uh, there was a ban on assault weapons. Uh, this week, uh, the sheriff, Jeff Bullard, uh, from Jefferson County uh, announced that he and other sheriffs were not going to enforce the assault weapons ban. People who have assault weapons had a year to register them, and um, there are also some suits around it, so this is going to be an ongoing thing, but hopefully our state will remain a place where assault weapons that are really not needed for anything, except if you're in a war, and hopefully we won't be here. Uh, we don't need assault weapons. Um, let me see what else. A uh, little bit more good news. While I was in the locker room, you know, you can all imagine the kind of uh, activity or discussions that go on in locker rooms, or at least purportedly so. But I was at the McGawai, and my friend Larry says, hey, did you hear about Jane Schakowsky? She got uh, money for the renovation of the High Ridge YMCA. So I didn't find anything on it. And I, you know, we reported when the High Ridge Y closed and the loss of the swimming pool and a number of other things. Uh, it turns out that Jan Schakowsky facilitated a loan through the community project funding from the House Appropriations Committee. It's FY2023. Uh, it's not a loan, it's uh, federal dollars going directly to the High Ridge Y. And as Jan said, after 70 years of serving the West Ridge community, the High Ridge Y, a community institution, closed its doors last year. The facility was a place for seniors, for children, everyone in between. And she mentioned her dog, Pipi, P-I-P-P-I, who was trained there. People come together to learn, play, and engage with the community around them. She's ecstatic that she's able to secure the funds to bring the High Ridge Y back to life. That's a good one. Uh, close to home, here on the labor front, Howard Brown Health Center, you know, uh, the workers went out on strike. It's a new union. Uh, Howard Brown is claiming it has a $12 million uh, budget gap it has to close. So it has let go 61 workers, and there have been demonstrations around that. And we support the workers, and we hope this can get worked out. Also here in Illinois, here in Chicago, the University of Illinois, Chicago, uh, a lot of people went out on strike the last few days. So we'll keep you posted on that one. On the sports front, we had a lot of sports last week. We did Kayshawn, uh, he's a Navajo uh, professional bull rider. We had him on, and we also had Dave Megacy talking football. We've gotten a lot of good response off this last week's show. So that was enough sports. We're not going to talk too much more about it, except by the time you... Uh, you either watch this on YouTube or listen to it on air or get streamed. Uh, you'll know how the Bulls fared in Paris. 
They're over there. They're playing Thursday night. This airs on Saturday. Yeah, I did go out to the bull uh, riding uh, event uh, with my son, Katie, and we wandered around. We took a lot of pictures. We had we had media passes. We were right there with the bulls coming out of the chute, almost crashing against the gate where we were or the fence. Uh, it was quite exciting in a lot of ways. Um, and let me see what else I got. This is an observation for me in watching sports. I've been seeing these ads very well done in black and white. And one of them recently showed a kind of a migrant family, uh, you know, heading north, a lot of trouble where they had lived. Uh, and there are beautiful photographs and really well done. And then uh, they're done in black and white. These are compelling stories. And uh, after enduring all this violence and heading north, on the screen comes, Jesus was a refugee. Jesus gets us all of us. They're really well done. I'm not advocating for anyone to get more religious than they may be, but I'm very impressed with these ads. And we do certainly like churches where they worship Jesus and they care about everyone else. Remember that. You're really going to follow the teachings of someone like him, really follow them and not use them against others. We'll be right back with our first guest, Heather Booth, and we'll be talking about the movie Jane. It's showing here and a little bit of what's going on in the uh, freedom of choice movement. Stay tuned here on the left end of your dial. Listen up, get ready, I'm not gonna take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Buckle up, get ready. This is Heather Booth. I'm glad to see you, Mike James. Uh, you've been a movement partner for so many years, and I'm glad to be with this audience uh, who also are movement partners and care about making this a better world. Well, right on, sister. And I know you're on a way to an important meeting. Uh, the reason I wanted to get you on live from the heartland is because I know that the movie associated with Jane or the service, which you and uh, Marie Liner started back in the day, um, there's a screening and you're coming to town. So I wanted to, uh, to talk to you a little bit. Can you tell people well, what, what Jane was? Uh, in 1965, a friend asked me to find an, uh, someone who could provide an abortion for his sister who is nearly suicidal. She just wasn't ready to have a child. I didn't really know about what to do, but with connections I had from the civil rights movement, I found a doctor, Dr. T.R.M. Howard, who actually had a clinic six, on 63rd Street called Friendship Clinic. He was a great civil rights leader, but I didn't know any of that at the time. He provided the procedure. I thought that was a one-time friend, helping friend. But word spread. And as other women came through and more and more, we decided to call this underground network of providing abortions, Jane. Because three people in 1965, three people talking about providing an abortion was a conspiracy to commit a felony. And so, Jane went on for a number of years. More people came in. We had another provider after Dr. Howard was no longer available. And the women of Jane learned how and provided 11,000 abortions themselves between 1965 and 1973 when Roe became the law of the land. And for those who want to learn more about the true story, the documentary, 
is an HBO documentary called The James. It's quite remarkable. Emma, uh, uh, is, that Leah Sin, is that the original uh, film? Or it's it's the documentary. It's the yeah. original, it's the, a documentary. And um, uh, Emma Pildes and Tia Lesson are the uh, producers of the film. By the way, it's shortlisted for an Academy Award, so who knows, it's getting some recognition. But there's going to be a screening in Chicago where it all started on Thursday, <laughs> January 26th at 6.30 p.m. Thursday, January 26th at the Max Polevsky Cinema at Ida Noyes Hall, 1212 East 59th Street. There's no cost to attend, but you do need to reserve a seat because the uh, the seats are going quickly and it may fill up. Uh, Thursday, January 26th at 6.30, the Max Polevsky Cinema at Ida Noyes Hall, 1212 East 59th Street. The YWCA of uh, Metropolitan Chicago is sponsoring it with the Chicago Foundation for Women and now many other groups. Um, I, Mike, I think you'll make the a link uh, available. We're going to show that on the screen as well as announcing it. And um, uh, people should know that there'll be a discussion after the movie with both you and Marie Lerner. Uh, Lerner. I keep, I, I misspelled it here, but say hi to Mickey. I know her from way back. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the, uh, the film will be shown. There'll be a panel discussion uh, or a discussion with you two and Natalie Moore of WBEZ. And uh, will you tell the listeners there was another film that came out on the topic, a Hollywood film. I don't know if it's good, bad. What's your There's opinion? another one with Sigourney Weaver uh, that's come out. And it's the name of that is Call Jane. And that I think you can get streaming now. And it gives a culturally accurate sense of the times. Uh, and this is the documentary. This is the inside and true version. I hope to see some of you there. I'll be returning to Chicago. I haven't lived there for many years, but I love to come back. Would love to see some of my longtime friends and new friends who are partners in this movement. January 22nd is the 50th anniversary of when Roe became the law of the land. There's now this dreadful pushback that's threatening women's lives and threatening the lives of so many people on the most intimate decision of our lives about when or whether or with whom we have a child. And so I hope you'll come, be part of this struggle, show up for the Women's March on January 22nd and hope to see you on January 26th. Heather Booth, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, but before you go, just give us a little bit on where do we stand in the fight for choice, given what happened with Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court, uh, and where should people direct their energies? What should they be doing now? We're on knife's edge between freedom and authoritarian rule, but we can push back. We showed that in the last elections, but it's, it's about elections. We have to prepare for 2024 but it's beyond that. There's now Supreme Court uh, elections in Wisconsin, nearby to Illinois, and we encourage people to be part of that. We need funding for that race. The, in Illinois, we uh, have become kind of a, uh, a sanctuary state. Yes, we've we got to keep it strong. There are wonderful groups in Illinois working on this issue. 
um, their various uh, centers providing services nationally. There's National Abortion Fund. Um, there's Pro-Choice Illinois. There's uh, NARAL and Planned Parenthood. Nationally, there's a group called Sister Song with a focus on uh, Black women, especially in the South. But wherever you decide to put your efforts, I encourage four M's that you do members, you recruit people and others. You alone are not enough, but you are terrific, but with others, members, that you share the message. You spread out this message. Hope to see you January 22nd, as well as January 26th to see the film, The Janes, at Ida Noyes Hall. Money, we need your funds. There needs to be support for the great organizations and movement. Show up. Be there or be square, as they used to say. So okay, hopefully all you January listeners, 26th, Ida Noyes Hall. All you listeners out there, uh, listen to what Heather has to say. There's a lot of work to do. She's been in the uh, forefront of the struggle for many years. Heather, I'm so glad I could catch you on your way to some important meeting that you're going Thanks, through. Mike. Keep moving it to the left here. Thank you. All the best to all of you. Glad to be your partner in this struggle for freedom. Right Bye-bye. Uh, everybody, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Live from the Heartland here on the left end of your dial or YouTube.com slash Heartland Media slash videos. All kind of ways you can get the show. We'll tell you more about that later. And we'll be back with our next guest in just a moment. Listen up. Get ready. I'm not Uh, we're back with more live from the heartland for the week of January 25th. Uh, I'm Michael James, and I hope you had a nice little break between our previous guest, uh, Heather Booth. But now we're bringing on someone who I don't know, but I'm looking forward to knowing him, although he might have been a customer at the Heartland Cafe back in the day. So our paths certainly have crossed. And a lot of people I'm running into, all my old comrades, sisters and brothers, they are they're liking this guy. His name is Nick Ward. And he is a candidate for the aldermanic position in the 48th Ward in the great city of Chicago in the county of Cook. Good morning to you, brother. Good morning. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And, you know, like I said before we got on live here, the, the Heartland Cafe was really a, a meaningful place for me as a, as a young person new to Chicago. So thank you for, for all of that. That was part of the goal was we were going to uh, turn people on to good things and promote yeah. the causes. And, uh, you know, when we opened it, it wasn't as much about healthy food as having a place where we could develop cadre or organizers out of. So, yeah. uh, you know, we wanted people to have a uh, be able to serve the community, make a living and do political work. Later, we would say their art, their family, et cetera. Enough of that. You're the guy you're running. You have these uh, real nice orange and black signs all over the 48th Ward. I've been noticing as I cruise around town. Uh, we could talk a little bit about you, but I'm going to let you do that. Let's start off with you talking about the 48th Ward, where it is, who lives there, what goes on, what are the issues? Yeah, okay. So I know that there's some there's some folks who who follow the show who maybe aren't in Chicago. So I'll, I'll kind of, you know, make sure that we understand what we're talking about here. So if you're looking at a map of Chicago, um, you know, put, put your eyes northward and towards the lake and you'll find the 48th Ward. So it encompasses... Um, a couple of different neighborhoods, um, parts of Uptown uh, on the southern end, and then it runs through um, all the way up to Devon Avenue and encompasses a lot of Edgewater. And then it also takes a little bit of um, this uh, 
business district called Andersonville, which is this, um, you know, small, like localized businesses, kind of walkable community. So the ward itself is, is pretty distinct. It's one of the most socioeconomically diverse wards in Chicago. Um, we've got uh, a, a corridors, the corridor that I live on called the Kenmore Winthrop Corridor, which is a mixture of um, like large apartment buildings as well as some condo buildings. We've got the, the, um, the architectural vernacular known as the four plus ones, which I have a soft spot for. What that means is parking on the kind of <laughs> a ground, you know, the basement floor with four floors above it. Um, and then if you go east along the lakefront, that's primarily um, condo buildings. So there are these large high-rise condo buildings that run along the lakefront with gorgeous views. I was in one last night for a, a supporters meet and greet and just beautiful, beautiful opportunity to see the lake. And then when we turn our attention west, um, which for Chicago listeners is going to be west of Broadway, we've got a collection of um, single-family homes as well as uh, you know anywhere from two to three to six and eight flats. You know, again, the the kind of classic Chicago ar architectural vernacular. Um, but the people who live in the ward are working class people. You know, it's long been a, a place where restaurant workers, nurses, artists teachers could settle, you know, uh, rent uh, affordably or afford to own sustainably and, you know, really make a life for themselves. Um, there are, that is becoming a little bit more difficult, you know, as it is everywhere, you know. And so one of the biggest parts of this campaign is really thinking through how we make sure that the ward remains affordable for everyone. You know, and 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 that intersects with so many things. You know, we have we have great schools in the ward, um, but because of the way that that funding is structured, you know, great schools have to have students in them. You know, we need to make sure that our schools are fully fully funded, fully enrolled, um, to be able to make sure that we can support them. And so that's part of of you know part of what we're looking at right now here in the ward. Um, and then one one thing I'll say too that, you know, it doesn't really get brought up, I think, a lot when we talk about the 48th Ward, but we've got some real infrastructure challenges, you know, and, and right now um the the CTA is building a new red line. It's called the CTA RPM project. Uh RPM stands for red, purple modernization. So it's taking some of the old um, CTA infrastructure that's 100 years old and updating it so it doesn't fall apart, um, which is a huge project and it's really exciting. Um, when it's going to be completed, it will be a fully modernized, um, you know, public transit arm. But another thing that we have is we've basically got a couple highways that run through the ward, um, and that presents a lot of challenges for the people who live in this community. You know, challenges related to traffic and congestion, challenges related to people being able to feel like they can safely walk across the street. And so that's something that, you know, is really prominent here in the ward and it's really distinct and it's something that we all have to work on. Um, and, and that's what I'm excited to work on. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I went long. Well, that's good. I like it when people <laughs> ramble on. Uh, 
Which uh, highways are you talking about? Are you talking about Ashland Avenue? You're talking about Clark Street? You're talking about Broadway? You're talking yeah, about so, Lakeshore Drive? Yeah, so basically we're talking about, so Lakeshore Drive, you know, slices up the lakefront. Um, it ends in the 48th Ward, and then there are access points that get commuters to Broadway. Um, and then there's also Ridge Avenue, so Ashland isn't in the ward, but Ridge kind of slices right through the community. And when I when I talk to folks, especially the folks who live on Ridge or near Ridge, um, the number one thing that I hear from our neighbors is how afraid they are of how fast the cars can go. And I so think cars in general are driving awful fast, you know, and somebody yeah. uh, on the show recently talked about uh, maybe on Lakeshore Drive to Sable drive uh you know we should slow down uh uh the speeds we could even probably fund a lot of things if we started giving out tickets yeah but not I mean, on the traffic for yeah, now yeah, we could spend all day on traffic we could <laughs> uh and i always have a suggestion that for bus routes that uh don't operate on the weekend where they have no parking signs they should be open it up for parking on the weekend so remember that if you're the next alderman over there yeah, i'll remember that um you know, there's a number of people running for uh, that slot. I think there's up to nine or ten people. And uh, we always liked Harry Osterman. We didn't necessarily agree on everything, but we went way back. And he has retired, and he's endorsed somebody else. Um, but I haven't heard – I've heard people say there are a lot of good candidates. Why don't you give us a brief thing on the opposition? Who's on the right? Who's on the left? Why you? Well, hey, you know I'm not allowed to talk about my opponents, you know, in any sort of disparaging way. I mean, okay, you know, uh, and I don't want to, honestly. You know, I think we see each other all the time. There are nine other people who are running, and, you know, it is really difficult to be in this race. It's difficult to run for, for older person in Chicago with the, you know, the historical legacy of the, of the Chicago politics behind us and influencing how that works. So I have a great respect for everyone who's in this race. That's um, really great to hear. That's yeah. the kind of thing that uh, we should have elections in particularly in Chicago in our wards where we have great people running against each other and it'll all evolve to even a better and better situation. Yeah, I think, and I think that, you know, everybody has a deep love for this community in this ward. And so I, I have a, as somebody who also has a deep love for this community in this ward, I have to respect that. You know, I, I think that I'm the best for this role um, for a couple of different reasons. Because um, I think that, you know, right now in the 21st century in Chicago, um, I think that an alderman, older person does three things. Um, hopefully they do them all well. Um, you know, it, here in Chicago, we have ward services is really important. That's distinct from other cities. You know, it's making sure that the streetlights stay on, the trash gets picked up, uh, you know, the trees get trimmed, um, you know, making sure that constituents get the, the things that they need every day. Um, and then it's also making sure that the policy that gets set downtown and the impacts every person um, is really, you know, well translated out into the community. You know, so an older person has to really understand not only the intricacies of the policy, but how to communicate it to their constituents. And then finally, I think the most important thing is that 
our older person has to have uh, really the, the right values to make sure that we're supporting our most vulnerable neighbors. You know, low-income people, um, homeless neighbors, folks facing a lot of challenges related, related to maybe mobility or job access. You know, that older person has to make sure that we're really supporting those folks. And I think of all the 10 people running, I do that. All three of those things I bring together more than anybody else. Uh, that's good, Nick Borden. I like a confident candidate. Uh, yeah. So what I'd like you to do now is to shift a little bit and tell us about yourself. I know that you've come out of Detroit. I know that, uh, which is a, a wonderful city yeah. uh, with plenty of issues, some like us. Um, but also some great cultural history up there and Absolutely. labor history, et cetera, et cetera. I know your parents were school teachers, yeah, and union members. Yeah. I know that you busted your ass uh busing tables, waiting on tables, being in theater, uh yeah. doing that kind of thing. You sound like a lot of the employees we used to have at the Heartland. Yeah. You know, I'm finishing my uh degree. I'm in I'm in a play next week. I'm working on my book. I have an art show going on, I got a kid coming. Um, whatever it may be, but you tell us about you. Hey, that's great. And and I, I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I'm from the suburbs outside of Detroit. You know, I think it's important to understand because of the historical legacy of, you know, the segregation of the Detroit metro area to to really be specific. You know, I'm actually not. Oh, that's good. Not from Detroit proper. I am from the suburbs outside of Detroit. Uh, my parents were were public school teachers. Uh, I went to public school from all the way up until like into college. Um, and then I moved to Chicago where I uh, spent many, many years pursuing theater and working in restaurants. So I probably worked in, I don't know, 15 different Chicago restaurants. There's only one of them that's still open, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I spent a lot of time, um, you know, really, you know, working alongside and with you know, folks who were really struggling, you know, working with bussers and food runners who, who had to work multiple jobs, you know, working off of tips, and that has its own precarity, and doing a lot of, of un and underpaid theater work. Um, and so I, I moved here to be an actor. I wasn't much of an actor, but I was pretty good at, at uh, a bunch of different things. So I did some, I did some casting work, did some production management. Uh, I joined a storytelling organization that I'm still a part of called Second Story. Um, I did. I did write a book. Um, I I've taught classes, um, and I've spent just a lot of time really steeped in Chicago's artistic and cultural community, um, and that's what really kind of formed my thinking about how this city can better support you know arts and culture workers. You know, and, you know, and I, I like the idea of a, a restaurant worker being in office because having run a, a restaurant for thirty six years. I know how difficult it is and how yeah. people in whatever position you're in, whether you're the dishwasher, the bus boy, the janitor, uh, the servers or the waitress to the waiters, um, the kitchen workers, whether it be prep to the head cook, you got to juggle a lot of stuff. You got to be able to take it as it comes um, and deal with it immediately while you're doing a bunch of other things. So, yeah. I've never really talked about that before, but the, I'm sure there are plenty of former restaurant workers who do hold office, but uh, you might be another one. Yeah, and, you, and you're all working on a shared project together, you know, and I think that's, I didn't know that I was a, a community organizer for so many years until I had some 
some folks really point out that, you know, working in restaurants and working in the arts and, you know, bringing people together around shared projects uh, has a natural entry point into community organizing, you know, and I think that that's work that I was doing for 16 years before I really, 15, 16 years before I really got involved in, in local politics. Um, well, Nick, what's this book about that you wrote? Oh, well, I, so I wrote uh, a book of, of um, personal essays, came out about a year and a half ago. Um, I, I'm a, like I said before, I'm a, a company member with Second Story. Um, we tell live true stories. Um, and so a lot of the stories from, from the book began as, as personal tales told on stages and in restaurants and bars around Chicago. So, um, you know, very proud, very proud of that. I don't anticipate to be writing a, another, another book anytime soon, but Hey, you never know how, how this will go and, and what stories I might have to share, uh, you know, after it's over. Well, storytelling is a great thing, whether it's in a book or in person. I know we used to do it, uh, at the no exit one time an author named Jeff Biggers was in town and he had me, I told a story about driving my 40 Ford coupe to California in 1960. And I won't go into it because it's a long story. Um, but uh, your storytelling is good. I have a daughter who uh, teaches at DePaul, Koya Paz. She tells stories sometimes. Hey, and, you know Koya? Koya? Yeah, I know Koya. But that's my daughter. <laughs> Whoa, I did not know that. How did I not know that? Yeah, uh, she may not tell everybody. Who knows? I've been uh, on Second Story Project, so I, yeah, I know her well. Oh, that's great to hear. All right. That's good. So let me ask you as we close out, Nick Ward, uh, what would be one of the first one, two, three things that you would want to see happen or do if you had the ability to do it in the city council and in our city? Yeah, so definitely we want to make sure that a couple of ordinances right now that don't have the support that they need get the support that they need. So the first two that come to mind are Bring Chicago Home, which is uh, really being pushed by a lot of unions and other um, progressive PACs to make sure that we're systematically addressing homelessness in our communities by building permanent supportive housing. Right. Um, the other is Treatment Not Trauma which would seek to reopen the, the closed public mental health clinics and expand those operations where possible across the city. So the folks experiencing mental health crises have public options, you know, for them to, to you know, really address their needs. And then, you know, in, in my ward, um, one of the things that I would love to see is a greater investment from the city and the community in youth programs, you know, not necessarily relying on Though I love our, our, our area nonprofits, but not necessarily solely relying on them. So I would love to see something that, that happened this past summer um, down in Pilsen in the 25th Ward. I would love to have some sort of basketball tournament or basketball league where kids could come together and play and compete in a safe and productive way and really you know, activate the, um, the, lake, the lakefront community with just some exciting energy. So that would be like, you know, a little bit more of the nebulous one I'd like to see. I like that. You know, I'm in this group, Athletes United for Peace. We'll talk about that more. Uh, I want to wish you well, no matter where this election takes you. And I'm going to ask you one last thing. Uh, who do you look to for advice? In other words, can you give us a little insight into your little central committee or steering committee for your campaign? Well, my campaign is I'm so proud to have been really supported by 
uh, a number of incredible organizers here in the 48th Ward. My campaign manager um, went to Georgetown Law School, successfully ran an operation for Mary Oshana in Skokie, and just keeps me, you know, grounded and on point every single day. Uh, my field director, Miracle Jenkins, comes to us from the Progressive Turnout Project in Georgia. He's just joined the team and is activating our 200 volunteers. Um, and then I have this incredible kitchen cabinet that is full of, you know, CTU members, other organizers in the community, um, you know, folks who have worked in the arts and nonprofits, and and there's just so much support from from you know, for me from the from the you know campaign side. And then I'm I'm really proud that I've been endorsed by a couple of elected officials um, to the to the west of me. So Carlos Ramirez Rosa, alderman of the 35th ward. Daniel Espada, Alderman of the First Ward, and a newly elected Cook County Commissioner, Anthony Joel Quesada, have all um, endorsed me. And so I look to them for guidance, and I'm really excited and proud to, to work together with them. Well, Nick Ward, you're a hell of a guy. I think you have a good future, and uh, I look forward to hanging out with you in person. All right. And, uh, watching all the things you do in your life. Thanks so much. I appreciate you all. Have a good rest okay, of the day. Brother. And hey, brother. And everybody, stay tuned for more Live from the Heartland. Following Nick Ward, we've got the incomparable Don Rose, a longtime political analyst. And we're going to talk about our future mayor, whoever it may be. Oh, have fun right with that. Back, right back with more Live from the Heartland here on the left end of your dial. Listen up. Get ready. I'm not going to take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Uh, you're listening to the Live from the Heartland show. You might be watching the Live from the Heartland show. Uh, we're here for the week of uh, January 25th, recording on the 18th. And I'm really honored now to bring on once again uh, our perennial electoral analyst, the one and only Chicago's very own Don Rose. Good morning <laughs> to you, Don. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you've always been the guy I go to for the information on who's running and who's good and who's going to win. And you've hit it every time except that one time that a lot of us missed a few years okay. back in 2016. So let's not go there. Let's just talk about the great opportunity that we have here in Chicago to elect a mayor, perhaps a new mayor. We, we, it's a two-stage operation, most likely. Uh, and that that is because um, the uh, first round is February 28th, uh, a Tuesday, of course. And if uh, there are nine candidates running, uh, which makes it very hard for anybody to get 50% plus one. Uh, assuming nobody gets 50% plus one, the top two candidates will run off against each other for uh, 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 the top job on uh, March 6th. That's six weeks, a six week uh, campaign from first round to second round. And uh, most of the candidates, many of the candidates are fairly well known. Uh, and, and the lineup, of course, uh, 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 reflects name recognition and uh, uh, general positions. Uh, we have, of course, Lori Lightfoot running uh, <clears throat> for reelection. Uh, we have Chuy Garcia, uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia, congressman and uh, former alderman and state senator and county commissioner uh, who is running and currently 
leading the field. Uh, I, want, I want to make sure when I talk about the positions they're in now, I, I really want to say that uh, um, they are still largely based on name recognition and the situation is somewhat fluid, but uh, for the past several weeks, ever since the uh, uh, official start, this is where they are. So we've got Lori and uh, Chewy Garcia. Uh, <clears throat> then we have uh, Paul Vallis, uh, the one-time uh, CEO of the schools here in Chicago, and uh, uh, who was run for governor and a few others. Uh, he ran for mayor four years ago uh, and did not do very well at all, but I think he is positioning himself uh, uh, very well at the moment. I could talk about him in, in, in a minute. Yeah, we will. Uh, the other candidates, um, uh, uh, the well-known now, I think, uh, Willie Wilson, the eccentric millionaire who passes out uh, gasoline cards and cash to folks and has been um, a leading figure in the black community because of this. Uh, he is getting, uh, has a lot of recognition among blacks and a lot of favorables. Uh, then, we, then we go into um, the guy who should be, uh, who is most likely to be uh, rising from relative obscurity, and that's Brandon Johnson, who is uh, both a member and an organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union. He has their endorsement. He is a county commissioner, um, a very eloquent guy known for his speech making. Um, and he has the support of a couple of other progressive unions and a lot of money. And he is on television a lot. People who watch TV, I'm sure, have seen these very short 13 to 15 second commercials that say Brandon Johnson is going to uh, has a good plan for the schools and business and crime. Um, he's a good man for Chicago, uh, just just like that, which I think is getting him known. We haven't seen any results of in the polls. Um, as yet, but uh, because of the combination of the TV he's getting and uh, the support of these unions, um, he uh, uh, is certainly going to get more than the uh, uh, low single digits that he's getting at the moment. So I think we have to consider him a potential contender uh, right up there with uh, uh, Vallis. Uh, who is the only white candidate and has the support of the police union? So he is. Oh, what a surprise! <laughs> he is probably the uh, um, uh, consider and the business community. He's he's on the air with some money from the business community, so he's got uh, um, a lot going for him uh, beyond the uh, personality that never went anywhere. <laughs> um, so I, I would say those are the uh, contenders yeah. at the moment. We, we have uh, uh, several aldermen, uh, two aldermen, um, Rod Sawyer, whose father was once uh, uh, named mayor by the city council. He was, the un he was the only unelected black mayor we had. Um, and we have Sophia King of the Fourth Ward, 
very close to Tony Preckwinkle, uh, another very progressive alderman. Alder, we're saying alder person these days, I guess. Yeah, we got to do that. <laughs> got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> My pronouns are who and what. <laughs> uh, and, let me let me ask you while we're we're moving along here. We got a list of all these candidates. Um, I had a couple questions came to mind. Uh, one would be, uh, do you think that Chewy would have gotten if he had announced earlier he was going to run? Do you think he would have gotten CTU and would uh, uh, Brandon Johnson have gotten in the race? Well, the likelihood is. Uh, they would have uh, endorsed Chewy. However, they have been planning to run Brandon Johnson for four years. Four years ago, uh, uh, they were um, offering their endorsement to the candidate, uh, which included, uh, four years ago, uh, Chewy was not running, but uh, Lori was running and Preckwinkle was running, as you will recall. And they were offering their endorsement to the candidate who would... Um, agree to run only one term and then endorse Brandon. They want one of their own to be uh, uh, the chosen one here, which is an interesting and debatable kind of issue, um, even to a supporter of the uh, 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 Chicago Teachers Union. So uh, they say that they uh, named him because Chewy would not give them a date or say for sure he was running. Um, I would say that it is still somewhat iffy because they they have been planning. Uh, he's he's been their their not so secret weapon for four years, um, but I I will take them at their word that they uh, uh, did it because uh, Chewy would not say for sure whether he was running or not. Why do you think uh, Chewy decided to get in the race when he's a congressman uh, and getting you know he's getting pretty well known on a lot of levels, and he's been kind of a kingmaker uh, for local elections, uh, various alder people and state representatives, et cetera. Why do you think he decided to make this move to get in, kind of seemingly at the last minute? Well, <clears throat> the best thing I can say is that uh, a certain generation or two or three of Chicagoans uh, who lived through the Richard J. Daley era and saw the power uh, and the strength that he wielded, um, often look upon the mayor, uh, mayorality of Chicago as uh, a higher calling than being a congressman. Uh, yeah. We've had congressmen come back to be aldermen. Uh, the, the famous Roman Puczynski was a congressman who... Uh, uh, Yearn to have a city job because alderman might lead to mayor. So I, you know, we, we make light of this, but um, a lot of congressmen. I, th uh, I th there's another point there. If the Democrats had lost the, uh, had won the House of Representatives, and he could have been part of a working majority there, um, he says, I think, pretty clearly that he would not have run. And that because we lost power, we being the Democrats, uh, although I consider myself an independent, uh, because uh, uh, he's in a minority position and is not going to be able to get much done. And this job, he could run for um, 
mayor and lose and still be a congressman. Yeah. So it was it's it's like a a free opportunity. He didn't have to give up anything. Uh, a lot of people question it though. It's a legitimate question. Why would you give that up to be mayor? It's the same reason many people give up being senator to run for governor. They think they can actually do more in that position than being part of a uh, uh, 200 and some uh, 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 member minority. Uh, Don Rose, uh, first, I want to once again remind people that the election is February 28th. If someone doesn't get 50% plus one, it's April 4th is the runoff. I wanted to raise a question that I'm not getting a lot of response from people on about, uh, you know, some of us in the city pride ourselves on a kind of a rainbow coalition that helped elect Harold Washington, certainly uh, Obama in some ways, where you're talking black, white, Latinos, et cetera, working together. We saw a rift in the city council in L.A. between African-Americans and Latinos. Uh, and I'm just wondering if uh, how you see that, uh, that we have candidates that are black, white, and Latino, how that plays out. Can we keep it civil? It doesn't seem like Lori Lightfoot's. she's going after Chewy already, um, and not in a nice way. Uh, I'm just wondering your thoughts on on the different ethnicities and races running against each other and how we keep it civil? Well, uh, other than Laurie's uh, uh, smear attacks on Chewy, which we can go into, but it's kind of complicated, uh, it, it has been civil so far. The people are attacking uh, Chewy, uh, not in a you know uh, an evil way, but just you know, the kind of question. You know, you're a congressman. Why did you decide at the last minute to come in? Blah blah blah. So that's a legitimate question and a legitimate attack. Um, the, the the there are two other uh, African American candidates that I didn't mention, but it's worth pointing out. We have uh, uh, Cam Buckner, who is a uh, very progressive uh, uh, state senator uh, uh, from based in the Hyde Park area, uh, the same area that uh, Sophia King is. And uh, we have uh, Jamal Green, who is uh, the youngest candidate, 27 years old, very creative guy, uh, but his only experience is uh, organizing demonstrations. And uh, uh, I think he's a very uh, got a, a very good future. He shouldn't be starting at the top. Uh, he'd be, right. I think, a great alderman, uh, uh, you know, with his ideas and uh, where where he is. I have uh, a lot of respect for him, but I uh, think, he, you know, he ain't ready for prime time yet. So Look, anyway, uh, uh, the, 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 the thing here is that the Black community is uh, very divided here. We have, uh, Laurie has a base in it. Uh, some people think that that's her biggest base. Uh, Willie Wilson um, got a lot of votes last time, and it seems to be getting them in the polls now. He is either the first or second largest um, uh, uh, accumulator of black votes. Uh, Cam Buckner will get black votes. Uh, Sophia King will get black votes. Rod Sawyer will get black votes. Jamal will get black votes. Uh, the largest portions, of course, at the moment, oh, and Brandon Johnson. So uh, the, the, the black vote is well scattered. 
some some uh, uh, activists are uh, trying to get that uh, uh, talk a few people to, uh, to drop out of the race because uh, it means that it's possible that there will not be um, a black candidate in the runoff. Uh, and, the, uh, the runoff will be from the two highest uh, right. receivers of votes. Let's switch to Vallis because uh, we haven't talked about him a lot. Uh, what makes him run? How did he, you know, in his early days in the school, uh, in working in schools, he was a superintendent of schools or whatever the technical term is. Um, he, uh, you know, I knew some people, progressives who worked for him, they used to like him. He seemed to shift, you know, he got into charter schools, he went to other cities, he kind of failed a bunch of places, he's come back and has positioned himself pretty much as a kind of more conservative, law and order oriented guy. Talk a little yeah. bit about him. Well, his best race was back uh, um, in, I think, 2002 or thereabouts. Uh, when he was running for uh, uh, governor, he came in, uh, uh, you know, uh, third but close in that in that race uh, that Blagojevich won, uh, and Roland Burris came in second. Um, he is basically a budget guy. Uh, he's a very smart budget guy. Whether you agree with, you know, er everything he has to say, you've got to respect him as a budget guy. Uh, my feeling is he should not have been made the head of schools. Uh, he fell into the trap of uh, what they were calling at the time education reform, which relied on uh, expanding charter schools and high stakes testing. Uh, this did not endear him to uh, the uh, teachers union, to uh, progressives such as myself, who, um, uh, um, really found them anti-public school and anti-student. Uh, much, much rather, uh, you know, build a better public education system than deplete it with charter schools. Uh, but that's, uh, that's an old argument, uh, but it's one he fell into, and I think he fell into it and uh, embraced it strongly because he was not really an educator. And uh, he became uh, interested in furthering his power. You know, he ran for uh, governor, and then he started running for different offices. He left Chicago. Um, he left a school system that was not much, <laughs> just, uh, not much better than than when he took it over. Uh, I frankly was not wild about Arnie Duncan in that same position later, uh, because uh, uh, it was the same problem. A, a decent guy, but uh, not an educator, and uh, fell back into uh, uh, the, the the trap of so-called education reform. There, that's a whole other issue. You can be pretty sure that uh, if if uh, Ch Chewy uh, wins, if uh, uh, Brandon Johnson wins, if uh, even if, if Lori wins, we're not going to go back into that in our school system. So that being uh, said, well, Don, we're going to we're going to run out of time. Let me just uh, I've invited you already. And I think you agreed that in the next couple of weeks, you'll come on again and give us some analysis of where the race is at. Um, okay. we, we look forward to that. And who would you predict 
are the two highest vote getters in this uh, February 28th election? I believe they will be Chewy Garcia and Paul Vallis at the moment. I think uh, uh, Lori has hurt herself more and uh, will likely wind up in third, conceivably even fourth place, but I think third place. And Vallis, by virtue of being um, the conservative, the white with that conservative base in Chicago and some money, uh, will overcome his personality defects that uh, uh, have kept him in low digits uh, previously. Don Rose, thanks a lot. You're always great to hear. I like seeing you. I like seeing you in person, too. I miss that. It's been a little bit of time. Let's do that. Uh, I want to tell everybody out there that we're going to be back next week. And next week, we're going to have a report from Brandon, excuse me, Brian Meir in Brazil. And then uh, Dave Kraft from the Nuclear Energy Information Service will also be on. And uh, I want to thank everybody who makes this show possible. I want to thank our guests who came on. Uh, today, that would be Heather Booth, that would be Don Rose, and who was my other guest? Nick Ward, a candidate for the 48th Ward Aldermanic position. Thank you to everyone over at WLUW, our home base, to Katie Hogan, Tom Clark, and Hal James. I hope you all have a great week. Do good in the world. The world needs all the good that we do. All power to the people. Thanks a lot. Next week. Are you doing the best you can? a dream awaiting I can see it in your eye it may not come easy but you know you've got a friend I'll be by your side the entire ride just let me hear you say amen are you doing doing are you doing the best you can Tell me, are you doing?